There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your settings. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. Welcome to Sci-Fi Talk on the Fangirl Zone, a podcast where we discuss shows on the USA and Sci-Fi Channel. I'm Steve. And I'm Sean Fangirl S. And tonight we'll be discussing episode 10 of season 2 of The Purge. Okay, so there was some unexpected stuff that happened. Yeah, and we had more than two survive. That was a surprise. Right. <laughs> All right, so before we Not jump in. Not the two we were hoping. No, no, those two, I was like, what? Yeah. So before we get in and our WTF moments, let's get some ratings. All right. Episode 10 brought in a 0.17 in adults 18 to 49 with 0.503 million viewers, making it the 49th overall cable show for the day. And we do have Live Plus 7 for episode 4, way back when. Holy cow. Yeah. Haven't had any since November 10th. They took a long holiday, too. Yeah, very long holiday. Tied for 16th in adults 18 to 49 total gain, going from a 0.2 to a 0.5 for an increase of 0.3. It tied for 11th in adults 18 to 49 total percentage gain, increasing by 150%. And it was 10th in viewers percentage gain, going from 0.547 to 1.101 million viewers for an increase of 101%. Not bad. Yeah. We should get another season. I hope so. Yes. But I kind of feel like the way we ended, it's kind of running into the movie Election Night. Right, But you yes. still don't it's... know how far apart everything was. Yeah, I agree. The way we ended it, this was between the one before election and an election, so. And then it makes me wonder where the new movie is falling. Right. This is going to be crazy. All right, let's jump in. All right, episode 10, 7.01 a.m. As Purge Night rages on, Esme, Ryan, Marcus, and Ben fight for their lives and their loved ones. Yeah. <laughs> well, all but Ben, at least. Fighting for He's the fighting, love of the but, Purge. Yeah. <laughs> but we have another one of those fantastic openings. We see a flashback to the first ever annual Purge, particularly a week before the dreaded Night of Violence where NFFA officials are out to test security systems within their office premises. And this is where I have a question. Because the way this plays out, was this the actual first purge or the first purge in NOLA? Yeah. Because the first purge was, was it Staten Island or Manhattan? I forgot. Right, yeah. They showed it up. It was up in New York. But yeah, the purge is countrywide. But It didn't feel like it, though. Because... And we're going to get there. The person who pops up from the first Purge movie. Right. With what he said, that's what had me questioning. Maybe it hadn't rolled out countrywide. They were rolling it out slowly. Yeah, I think the very first one was strictly 
in the New York area. Yeah, because that was the right. test. Right, the test one. But the way, I mean, obviously we're going to talk about it, but I really started to question if it was like maybe it hadn't rolled out across the entire country. Like they were like trying to set up the big cities first and then bring it like eventually smaller areas. Now that could be, but I know the room was the same room we see Esme in oh, later. Yeah. So yeah, you have to assume that that's New Orleans. At least that was my he assumption. Does, he does say that. Right. Because as you're about to talk about it, like <laughs> like the, I guess the manager, I don't know, the guy in charge of New Orleans, he's like, he's talking about it. He's like, yeah, nobody believes it's going to happen. It's like, that's what made me wonder if it just had not happened yet in these bigger cities. Right. Yeah, this could be like, right. But of course, because we see who we see and he gets killed off in the first movie, this can't, this has got to be at the same time. Right. But, well, we're just going to say it was Ethan Hawke. Come on. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody knows. You guys know that. (laughs) But in the first movie that we see him in, that wasn't the first one. The first one. Right. Okay. Gotcha. That's how he made all his money. Right. It's so confusing. Yeah. Now that I'm totally (laughs) off the rails, but it was interesting. Oh, absolutely. But of course, the guy is basically a putz (laughs) because he can't get into the locked room and has to call Ethan Hawke's character to figure out what to do. And you kind of go, boy, how did the NFFA survive by hiring people like this? (laughs) Right. Because he couldn't get in the room after. Oh, yeah. We put. Was it the cameras every three blocks and microphones and all this? It's like, damn. Right. They really did want to watch this, like, all this shit play out. Oh, absolutely. And so, of course, he has to reset the system so he can get in. And, of course, they discuss whether or not this is actually going to happen. Like I said, the guy who's in charge is, I mean, not his boss, but the guy in charge of New Orleans is just clueless he looked so nervous too which oh yeah i felt like the guy the nffa official was gonna shoot him myself so i'm like (laughs) i'd be scared too i'd be like he's gonna pull out a gun and purge you now yeah absolutely so we check in on ryan and the gang as they finally get their big score and we see him monitoring the jackals who are immediately blowing through the meeting point because we totally thought they were going to keep up their end of the bargain exactly and as they reveal their plan, the crew get into their respective vehicles to cut them off before they can completely escape. And we see the jackals driving down a back alley, and two of them drive by, and then the bus pulls in front of the third one as Tommy gets out of a flaming bus and flips him the bird. Yeah, okay. Why would you set the bus on fire when you were in it? Right. It seems a little dangerous to me. Yeah. Just a little spark might have made that bus go boom before you got off of it. Of course, the jackals realize this is a trap, and so they decide to back up. But Sarah and Doug hit their armored car, making them unable to protect the stolen goods. And blocking them in. Yeah. Which was a great plan. I just want to say I thought it was funny. When one of the jackals, the one driving, says to the other one, they're going to come back for us, right? Meaning the guys in the other two trucks. Yeah. And the guy's like, would you? <laughs> no. It's like, oh, you just let the air out of his tires, like for real. <laughs> yeah. Poor guy. Well, Ryan pulls up in a van, gets, goes into plan as he 
grab some dynamite and heads under the armored truck. Now, I and thought that would be a level five or four, whatever the highest one is. Or is yes. it maybe not because it wasn't like plastic explosive? And I'm trying maybe. to remember what yeah, happened it was the C4. first episode. Yeah, it, it, it was C4 that was illegal, I think. Oh, okay. And of course... Plans never go as expected, and we have some rando purgers come in and start attacking the group. They seem to be in the middle of freaking nowhere. Where right, Where did these yes. guys come from? Why aren't you out doing your stupid crap somewhere else? Right. So the crew manages to clear the area of them before they all get into the van and back up far enough so they won't be affected by the explosion. And the truck goes boom. And they get out and see numerous black boxes loaded with more money than they could ask for in their lifetime. And as this is happening, and Tommy goes up, he's like, yeah, all right. Why are we celebrating? Why are we waiting? Load that shit up and get out. Yes. Move before your asses. More, yeah, before more random purgers yes. show up. I was getting so ticked off. I'm like, it may have only been 30 seconds, but it felt like they were standing there for 20 minutes. Right. I'm like, move your ass. Load it up. Yeah. Get out. Yeah. And next we see him at a dock, and they're loading their boat with all the stolen money. And Ryan's listening to the scanner that Esme had, and sure enough, he hears that the NFFA have found her, and they've ordered a kill squad on her. That's just great. Yeah. I, you knew they weren't get out. She, she knew going in. Right. I don't know if Ryan really suspected. I think he did. You think so? Oh, yeah, I do. Because, of course, he tells them that he's got to go try to save her. And, of course, they want to go. And he says, no, you all have family. Get out of here. And, of course, they say, well, we'll wait for you as long as we can. And then Tommy tells him that they'll take care of Ryan's mother no matter what. I was wondering if somebody was going to say that. Right. Oh, you knew Tommy would be the one to say I that. I hope so. Yeah, seeing that Ryan got him out before he was killed. Right. So we check in on Marcus, who saves Michelle, and then has to deal with Ben. I'm sorry. You hit him. You seen damn well he's wearing a purge mask? Nah. I'd no. have backed up and then gone yeah. back there. <laughs> yeah. As they attempt to get to the triage center, they pass a truck that has people locked in a cage in the back going to you know where. Yeah. I'm like, oh, nice tie-in for the first season. Yes. And, of course, the people are screaming for them to stop and help. And despite wanting to stop, they keep on going. I don't think Marcus would have been able to necessarily talk the group out of stopping to help if right. Michelle wasn't hurt. Right. Absolutely. Now, once at the triage center, they immediately get Michelle out of the car and mention that they have another person in the back that needs help as well to those that are there helping that evening. And I was really hoping Ben was already dead. Right. But unfortunately not. The woman treating Ben insists that he is safe there as she checks his lungs. And the biggest problem is that while he might be safe, she is not. Yeah, especially when you see him eyeball the scalpel. Right. It's like, great. Yes. This is not going to end well. At the same moment, Marcus explains to Dr. Jason that Michelle needs a chest tube due to her wound. And Doctor is thankful to find out that Marcus is an ER doctor because they're low on doctors that night. 
I was a little surprised we didn't see the two that survived last purge that were driving around in the ambulance, not pull up and bring somebody in, but didn't see that. I looked for it. Well, they may not be in the same area. Right. Well, yeah, they aren't. Definitely not in the same city. Yeah, so it would have been nice, but... Right. So Dr. Jason asks if he needs anything, and Marcus tells him that just another pair of hands, and he gets what he asked for as a third-year med school student, Lindsay, shows up. Who looked scared out of her mind. Yeah, almost as scared as Michelle. Yes. (laughs) Marcus promises that there's no way she's going to die, and Clint's not going to win. I don't think Clint's going to be around anymore either, though. No. So Marcus manages to get the chest tube into Michelle to save her life in the nick of time. Of course, once she's stable, Marcus goes into the triage center to see who else he can help. As soon as he does, we witness someone who has lost both legs and hear screaming for the doctor. Kind of messed up when we start seeing that. It's like, oh, man. Yeah. And Marcus needs some vaccines and starts yelling for Dr. Jason as well, but no sign of him. Goes into the next room over and finds blood, which happens to be the room that Ben was in earlier. Great. Great. (laughs) And as he asks around, no one has seen Dr. Jason in a while, and no one can reach him or Lindsay. So Marcus realizes something weird is going on and requests Tanya and Andre stay with Michelle. Damn right. Right? At least you know they're going to put up a fight. That's right. As he's moving further into the triage center, a jump scare moment happens mere moments before he finds Dr. Jason Lindsay and two other people who came in to help in the triage center that evening. Oh, God. Was I the only one who was like, you piece of shit? Yeah. Oh, no. I think everybody was pissed because Lindsay's there just holding her neck, trying to keep the blood in. And Marcus asks what happened, and we see what happens as Ben closes the door behind him. He got hit by a freaking truck. Right. How is he doing so well? He walking. Yeah. (laughs) Must be all that working out he's been doing. Yeah. And, of course, Marcus is stunned and... Sure, he wishes he had left Ben in the road, but... And run him back over. Yeah, and and Ben agrees. That was the wrong move. That was just messed up, because he's like, your patients, they should have died. You're taking away the rights of purgers. It's like, what? Yeah, you're playing God, and I am God. Yeah, I'm like, okay, crazy. (laughs) I was hoping that that was an empty syringe. Yeah. And just like right into the... I don't even know if that really worked, but I don't care. I wanted that to happen. I would have believed that movie magic for this one because I do not like Ben's character. They had him go so crazy. Yeah. And they struggle. And the only way Marcus is going to get away is to inject him with something. Good thing it wasn't the flu shot. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, what did I inject? Oh, crap. That ain't going to do anything. So they drag Ben's body outside and leave him there he's too dangerous to keep inside and here's keeping fingers crossed that the purgers take care of him now i don't know about you but when that happened i'm like yeah you guys (laughs) there was there was choice words i am trying not to drop every f-bomb that i have because i'm like you know he ain't dead and it seemed like the purgers were staying away from the triage area anyway like kind of out of respect right off limits so i'm just like this oh he is not dead if you don't see it on screen don't believe it yes 
So we go check on our Esme as she tries to inform the people. And she gains access inside the building and she manages to find the video from the mail truck that shows the NFFA heading into Olivia Hughes's place. Unfortunately, she cannot transfer the footage. Those NFFA people ain't completely stupid. <laughs> so, of course, she gets her phone out and tries to record it off of that. And it looked like you wasn't going to get anything out of that recording. And sees the button that says transfer to the broadcast room. So she hits it. Soon thereafter, Vivian meets up with Esme, who explains she sent the file to the broadcast room. And Vivian tells her, you know you're going to be a sitting duck. And Esme doesn't care as long as people know the truth. She just needs a key card to gain access to the room. Oh, no. Of course, there just happens to be a key card somewhere close. Yeah. Really? So they walk back into the surveillance center. And how all those people didn't see Esme is beyond me. Vivian goes into Curtis's office to get the key, and some random employee sees her do it. Yeah, okay. She could have come out, I don't know, a little more cool. Like, oh, like, come on. Hey, has anyone seen blah, blah, blah? Right, you know, Curtis. No, you're going to be. Or anybody. You're right. Yeah, anybody. Why are you just like being so. Oh, I want to thank top? you for. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, the lady calls Curtis to report Vivian. And as they're walking up the stairwell, he stops them with a gun pointed and wants to know what Esme has on Vivian. Well, absolutely nothing because she just wants to do the right thing. That was probably a bad answer. I've been like, yeah. I can't tell you. Because, <laughs> of course, he explains the laws to support this country. And Esme insists that the laws are wrong. And she explains that the NFFA are killing people who question the purge. And they are killing people off purge. And there's proof. That's not true. <laughs> like, you thought he was going to be able to say anything other. Right. And, of course, he's not buying it. And Vivian didn't want to believe it was real either. And... Esme points out that the reason he hasn't pulled the trigger is that he has doubts as well. Or he's just too chicken shit to pull the trigger. Or not. I'm not sure. I was thinking he wasn't too sure of how he was going to like hit anybody. Like maybe right. he would suck. Yeah. And so they make their way up the stairs past Curtis as he lowers his gun and lets them pass. Just when we think it's safe for them to walk through the door, he raises his weapon once more, and Vivian moves in front of Esme to save her as he pulls the trigger. Great. Again. Yeah. Great. And of course, as soon as Esme hears the gunshot, she turns and fires on Curtis, then checks on Vivian, who insists Esme goes to let everyone know what the NFFA is all about and not to worry about her. It's only a flesh wound <laughs> in the midsection. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't think that's so easily overcome. No. <laughs> Unless it was just a glancing blow, but it looked like it went in pretty good. Right. And like right in could the have middle. Went in, yeah, went out the other side. So we see Ryan pulling up and seeing random purgers come after him, as well as the NFFA hit squad. Now, he manages to sneak inside moments after the hit 
squad and makes his way through the surveillance center. Heading up the stairwell, he confirms that Curtis did not survive, and carefully rounding each corner, he finds the hit squad and hides behind the wall. How, now, somehow how did he, he beat them up there? I thought maybe when they were showing him, like, he shot all of them. Right. And so I'm like, okay, how is he beating them up if he didn't kill everybody that was up front just now? Right. That's a good question. There must have been a problem with the elevator after the power reset. Maybe. Because <laughs> he took the stairway. And somehow he manages to take down the majority of the hit squad, but not without some sustaining some damage himself. And just as the last one has got his aim on Ryan, we hear another gun show go off, and it's Esme who has saved his bacon. I was surprised. Yes, very. Because I thought maybe she was already broadcasting. Right. But no. I guess after hearing the first couple of gunshots, Esme had to figure that it had to be Ryan and went to investigate. Upon making the way up to the access point in the broadcast room, Ryan does not try to stop her. He insists that the people need to know truth. And then he asks for the key card. And he goes outside of the room with the bulletproof glass to stall the next set of guards coming up. Yeah, you knew this wasn't going to end well. No. And Esme pleads with him not to do this, even though he explains he is right where he needs to be as the they blow the doors open and start firing. And she broadcasts the video of them going into Olivia Hughes' home to kill her and fake her suicide. Her words stream out as she tells everyone what happened to Dr. Adams. They killed everyone in the study to hide their truth. Esme insists that the people need to start asking questions. Sure, everybody yeah. jump right on board. Right. And she tells them that the reason NFA is hunting her is because she discovered the truth. And as the siren sounds, she declares the truth is the only thing more powerful than this regime. People need to demand the truth no matter the cost. And as the city hears her words, Ryan stands in front of the barrier that protects her. And of course, he is just blown to hell as the sirens blare and it strikes seven o'clock. So the purge is over. And she's still broadcasting. Yeah, although Ryan's plan was for Esme not to die, as soon as they get her out of the broadcast room, they shoot her anyway. Well, that was interesting because you see the one security guy get on the radio and he's like, it's after purge. Right. What should we do? And then I want to say, and I'm not 100% because it's kind of hard to hear, you hear the order stands. Yes. And the guy just even looked like, ah, crap. Yeah. And yeah, just shoots her in the head. It's like, what? And even that other security guy, or I know it's not security, police, whatever, who had hold of her arm, he looked- Was shocked. shocked. Yeah, he was. There was no doubt about it. He was like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Wait, the alarm. We're not supposed to do this. We're the good guys. Yeah. So, of course, as the clock strikes 7.01, the hit squad has been ordered to kill Esme, which the city of New Orleans becomes privy to because no one stopped to turn off the broadcast Esme was delivering before her death. Yeah, dumbasses, you should turn the broadcast off first. Yeah, but it seemed like, oh, no big deal because we're the NFFA. Nobody's going to believe it. Right. Now, of course, unfortunately, the broadcast did not go to everyone. It only went to the cell phones that were within range. 
So not the entire city of New Orleans knows, but there's probably a fairly good chunk of them. Now, I would think that because the hackers that she was working with got the breed, that they would have taken it and started broadcasting a country. Right. You would think that that is probably what happened. The next thing we see is the start of the resistance as Tommy, Sarah, and Doug have made it to Panama, which is all Ryan would have wanted ultimately. They make a toast to Ryan while agreeing to move some funds around for a much-needed contribution somewhere else. Ah, right to the newfound resistance, as Esme's face appears as the face of the resistance. And we see quite a few people that we know in this group, because Perner's there, and Vivian, who did survive. Surprising. And, of course, Darren is leading the cause. We see Marcus, Michelle, Tanya, and Andre there as well. It's interesting how they did finally bring everybody together this way. Right. Even even if it's not physical. Right. Because as that's all going on, you see Ben survive too. Oh, yeah. I was pissed. I knew it was going to happen, but I was still pissed. Yes. (laughs) And he was creating a little torture room for purge too yep he sure was and they all know that the leaders broke their own rules and shot esme after the sirens ended and darren unleashes one of the most powerful speeches in the history of the show and with the head of esme's sister sophia reminds everyone that change must occur she wants everyone to know that her sister's death was not in vain now like i said when this was going on and we see ben i thought that was really interesting Because as you have Darren talking about how the NFFA has broken their own rules and they're saying that it was all fake and what happened to her wasn't something that really happened. You see Ben creating a blade and sharpening another another one and who knows what else he's doing. Right. And putting on the mask and it's like, okay, my sister's death was not in vain and he puts on the mask and it's like he knows he can get away with shit because the right. NFFA is covering it up anyway. Yep. So it's just really interesting with that back and forth, like the, the visual dynamic. Yes, it was. Yeah, this... It's great to see a resistance, but it's going to be a long fight, right. I'm afraid. Because he is the example that Dr. Adams is trying to prove. Right. It's like, wow. I like the way the end kind of came together like that. I'm still pissed he's alive, but... Yeah. <laughs> the way it came together, the way they showed, okay, so yeah, Ben's crew gives the money to help the fight, and they all got out, and they got their families out, and I'm assuming his mom is, or not Ben, I'm sorry, Ryan's crew. Right. And I'm assuming they got Ryan's mom out, (laughs) I hope. Yeah. And how all the other ones come together, and I kind of wanted to see some of Marcus and Michelle's neighbors, like, at that rally. Right. But I'm like, Kind of looking, but not really looking in the crowd. So they could have been there and we just didn't really see it. Yeah. We didn't see the couple, that's for sure, because that right. they would have ju- that would have jumped out. out yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was really interesting and I'm like, okay, I like how we kind of came around. I feel like this season, even though I was pissed with with particular character, I liked the way they brought it because great, okay, they're not gonna just kill everybody off every season. Right. So I'm And we got interested. to see a whole lot of stuff that we've never seen before. So what happens in between purges and so that oh, was yeah. Awesome to see that stuff. Excellent 
second season for the purge. Yes. No doubt in my mind. I am hoping we get more because they didn't announce anything, but they didn't announce it last year until well after the season. Yep. I'm wondering if they're waiting to see how the movie is going to play out because I don't know when that's going to drop. Right. But I guess we wait and find out. Yep. Well, you know how we feel about this. How did you guys feel about this episode and this season and the series in general? And of course, the movies. Why not? Let's talk about all Purge. Retail Purge. And anyway, <laughs> it's a thing. It will be. Yes. <laughs> At least between us. <laughs> Shh, we won't tell anyone. Don't worry. Anyway, why don't you let us know at sci-fi talk at fangirlzone.com or head over to www.fangirlzone.com and you can find all the ways to contact us and let us know how you feel about all of it. And if maybe you have a retail purge story you want to share uh, <laughs> while you're at it, if you can rate and review us on iTunes and every other platform you find us on, because good ratings and reviews help other fans of the show find us. Tell your friends about this show. If they liked the movies, they will most definitely like this, especially this season. And of course, we hope you're enjoying the podcast. So for this episode of Sci-Fi Talk, I'm Sean Fangalas. And I'm Steve. Changing the world, it starts right here, right now, in this room. And until next time.